Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We're your hosts, Marlene Stimmy and Andy Laker. How's it going this evening, Andy? Good evening, Marlene. I'm, I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing very well. I think I've mentioned to you that what we are starting with this evening is one of my favorite episodes, particularly my favorite, one of my favorite episodes from the early years, the Diane years of Cheers. So I'm excited to hear what you think of it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is episode five of season four of Cheers. It is Diane's Nightmare. It was written by David Lloyd, directed by James Burrowed, and it aired on Halloween, October 31st, 1985. <laughs> it's very uh, uh, serendipitous that it aired on Halloween, I think, considering how it starts out. Oh, yes. I think the yeah. whole thing just is, is spookily fits a good uh, kind of old-fashioned horror movie Halloween. Mm-hmm. So the log line goes that on a spooky night at Cheers, and really, I have to say, it was a dark and stormy night, which is probably my favorite. <laughs> Another reason I know I love this, just to interrupt myself here, is that that trope is probably my favorite thing. A bunch of people in an isolated location, and there's a murder or something spooky is happening. I can mm-hmm. just watch that over and over. So the fact that Cheers had that as part of their episode delights me to no end. <laughs> Diane learns that Andy Andy, the ex-convict and aspiring actor that tried to kill her while performing the death scene from Othello, has escaped from mental hospital. Her fear heightens as one by one, each of the Cheers gang disappears down the stairs to Sam's newly discovered wine cellar. Diane wakes up realizing that she's been dreaming only to be paid a visit by Andy Andy, who wants everyone in the bar to cooperate with his plan to impress his new fiance, Cynthia, with little lies he's told her about all of them. In the midst of this, Sam, Woody, and Cliff are playing a word game in which Cliff always wins by his unique word creations. So that is our story. We start with this word game. So Sam and Cliff and Woody are playing a game where you have to form different word combinations out of letters. They're sitting at the bar playing this. And in the midst of this, um, Carla asks Sam where Diane is, and Sam says that she was burning the midnight oil studying, so he's letting her catch a few winks in the office. And then Carla had that great line about how Diane couldn't catch winks if she walked naked through a troop train. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a good one. Um, And then we have Frazier wondering if she's dreaming of him. And then he says, fat chance. That kind of comes back a little bit in the episode, I think, too. Frazier's attitude about that. Mm -hmm. So they go through the words. And I think Woody just had some, I don't remember what the words were, but they were pretty standard words, as I recall. And Cliff said he has all of those, but he also has flirk, furred, and snarf. <laughs> have you heard of those before, flirk, furred, or snarf? I have not. I have mm-hmm. not. I thought he pulled that out of nowhere. Right. Yeah, I haven't heard of it either. And neither had Sam, who said that there was no such word as flirk. And then Cliff explains kind of brilliantly that a flirk holds the little flag on the mailbox. So it's the, because who would know what that was? So you kind of mm-hmm. have to believe him. It's just, you know, specialized knowledge. And then Woody, of course, is impressed. And he's like, oh, you always win, Mr. Clavin. And Cliff tells Woody that he has to be tenacious like the great Horn Mjern. <laughs> I just laughed thinking about that name. Yeah. And then they talk about how Woody almost won last time. And he, Woody says he just missed it by a cat's pluck. So, um, what do you think of this teaser? 
as yeah, a start to our episode. I, I thought it was kind of a fun one. It, it does tie into what comes next, but you can't immediately tell that from mm-hmm. from what we get. But um, yeah, I, I always enjoy anything set around words and right. books and things like that. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, th- I thought it was funny, too, when you have someone like Cliff and then you have someone like Woody and you have kind of Sam who's kind of in the middle. And right. <laughs> it's just kind of a, a meeting of the minds, you know. So. <laughs> right, right. And I like the idea as well that they had this vocabulary in the bar, this vocabulary of words that Cliff has pre- previously invented in the game, like the cat's pleck. <laughs> You know, like maybe they're using these and we don't know it. So (laughs) I really enjoyed that one. It just, it's kind of, I don't know. It's a little zany, but I really really liked it. It is. Yeah. When we start the episode, I think that even the beginning of this is interesting to me because the first person that comes in the door, comes in, you know, it's raining, there's a storm going on. And he enters, and he seems to sort of be a focal point of the action. He stops on that landing right inside the bar and kind of looks around. And when I watch this, I always, I, I think that he, it makes him seem like he's a focal part, point of the story. Like he's going to be a part of the narrative. Because uh-huh. in other episodes, you know, if you have someone come in and they are a focus of the camera's attention, then they usually are someone that's bringing a story into the bar with them. Right. Um, did you have any kind of thought about that, or did you I, that I agree? I noticed that too. I noticed that too, and and then it kind of didn't go that way. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know if it was just a, if it was intended that way, or if it was just something the camera. I, I don't really know what to what to make yeah. of it. It just seemed like a little misdirection to me, like a little. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, um, like Alf, a little like something like Alfred Hitchcock would have happen. I would think in one of mm-hmm. his movies, you know. So I liked that. I liked that as part of the atmosphere. I'm going to assume it was intentional. Right. So one other thing I'm going to point out that I did not notice at first um, is that everyone is wearing the same raincoat. All the patrons in the bar are wearing the same raincoat. And that was pointed out to me by Ryan Daly, who hosts Cheers Cast, which is a wonderful uh-huh. podcast. And that um, this is the episode that I was able to record with him for that show a little while ago, and in our discussion, he mentioned that when we were talking about elements that are kind of surreal in this first act, and that was something that he had noticed. So I thought oh, I'd point that out. Yeah, because I, I certainly didn't didn't catch that, but that's really, that's interesting that they made that choice. Mm-hmm. Huh. I think so, too. And it's not so obvious that it's in your face, you know, but if you right. just kind of paying attention to what's going on, it makes it a little stranger, I think. Mm. So Woody mentions the storm, says something like some storm, huh? And Cliff talks about delivering the mail in any weather, and he goes through the postal routine of the rain and sleet and snow and dark of night, mm-hmm. all of this. And then um, I'm not sure if it's Tim. It's one of the you know like the bar regulars that we see that's kind of a um, a side character comes in. His car won't start. <laughs> Cliff he wants Cliff to help him jumpstart it, and Cliff is like, "And catch my death." <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's Carla or someone comes up, maybe Diane, I don't remember to be honest with you, but someone comes up with a wine order. And so Sam asks Woody to go to the wine cellar to get more of the house red. And there's a little discussion about Woody being afraid of the dark in the past. And he says that now he just shuts his eyes and pretends it isn't there. So they're having this conversation about the dark and, um, then Diane, you can tell that she looks a little surprised about this wine cellar. 
which we haven't really heard about before either. And so Sam explains to her that on her day off, um, that they basically discovered the staircase that went down there to this cellar. And he tells her this little ghost story about the people that own the place keeping their crazy grandmother down there and all of that, you know, just to kind of spook her. Um, so Norm comes in and then Cliff mentions the storm. And so, you know, Norm does his usual <laughs> coming in. And I think he says, like, still pouring. Or Sam asks if it's still pouring. Yeah. And Norm says, something's going to ask you the same He's thing. It's funny. I was going to ask you the same thing. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I really liked his entrance here. I did, too. It was good. I did, too. And he talks about how if he doesn't get home to Vera soon, the road, road will be closed. <laughs> <laughs> says, like, uh, sh- sh- an hour should do it. Do it. Right, do it. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, but so Carla asked at this point Carla asked for the paper and she wants to see what they have to say about the storm. So everybody's really everybody that comes in mentions the storm. And it just is it's interesting to me too because that also seems like a an overfocus, you know. Mm-hmm. Just again like part of the kind of haunted atmosphere of it. And also this is probably analyzing too much but like what would a newspaper like an evening newspaper have to say about a storm? I don't know. I just I thought that was an interesting Right, like I, I this just, is the storm of the century or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Sam says he gave it to Woody. So it's just this plot point to get Carla then to go down the stairs to check on Woody, you know. Mm-hmm. I just think all of this is so well done. I don't mean to like go on and on. No, no, I, I just I, think it's no, all it's so I well agree. done. I, it is, it, it is. And I really, I, I this whole first act or whatever you want to call it, I really enjoyed how they amped up the tension the mm-hmm. way they did. Yeah. And uh, progress the plot. I really like it. Yeah. So Norm is looking at the paper. I think he made some comment about cutting out coupons for Vera. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of reading this, Norm asked Diane if she remembers the, the lunatic that tried to strangle her when she was doing the scene from Othello. So this is a reference back to season two's Homicidal Ham. And um, Sam mentions that his name was Andy Schroeder. And of course, they always called him Andy Andy. Which they, they do. did, and I remember when they talked to Andy Schroeder, I'm like, uh, I don't remember that last name being given, but then mm-hmm. again, it's been a hot minute. But um, Right. Yeah, that was interesting. Right, and then they just keep calling him Andy Andy. Yeah. Which is just funny, too. So Norm says that it's, you know, he has escaped from the state mental, hot, uh, mental institution, and Diane screams, <laughs> just a blood-curdling scream. And Norm's like, oh, yeah, she does remember. (laughs) Very nonchalant about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they're trying to focus. Cliff's like, what does it say about the storm? Like, they all want to get back to talking about the storm. Except for Diane, who's now, you know, kind of a mess. Sam is reassuring her that no homicidal maniac is going to come into the bar, like a brightly lit bar. Um, And then there's more thunder, and Sam is saying he hopes his wine cellar will stay dry. Um... And then, you know, they're wondering, to keep, it's, it's, again, like that trope that I love of, like, wondering where the last person went. So mm-hmm. Woody hasn't come back up. Carla hasn't come back up from the wine cellar. So Cliff is going to go now and check on them. So it's, it's weird, too. It's getting more and more surreal because Woody went to get wine for a customer's order. So you'd think that would happen quickly. So the fact that he's not back yet is very mm-hmm. strange. 
And also, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but like all the customers are suddenly gone. Yeah, I did. Because I, I remember going back and thinking, wait a minute, because, you know, um, when she's freaking out about uh, Andy, Andy coming back mm -hmm. um, and he's like, well, who's going to attack you in a bright, brightly lit bar? And then right after he says that, thunder and the lights go out. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I remember thinking the same thing when the lights came back on. I'm like, where are all the people at? <laughs> Right. And they've kind of like a few of them have meandered out, but there were people that were seated at tables, having conversations, having their drinks and so forth throughout this. Like it was busy when the episode mm -hmm. began. And then by a few minutes later, once Norm is there and the lights are out, no They're one is really there other than the cast. Right. Yeah. But you don't necessarily, I mean, you see them leaving, but it's not like they're all gone at once. It's just this, again, like the gradual building of the tension, like you said. Yeah. And so... Um, Diane said something. She kind of mimics Andy Andy's little, like, hi there. You know, she says, just because he looks at you like a little cherub or whatever, says, hi there, you think he's harmless and so forth. <laughs> I really liked her impression of <laughs> She did a good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when the lights went out, there was a long, it was a long period of darkness for TV, I thought, like where they're kind of talking, but it's like over 20 seconds that the mm -hmm. lights are out. Yeah. And Sam starts lighting candles, and so now the bar is just candle lit. And Norm decides, you know, that he's going to go and get everybody. After, after, I, I just got to laugh because you're right. It was, it was like, you know, twenty plus seconds of, of just the screens black, and you know, Norm's like, okay, don't panic, no need to panic. And then he says, Sam, the the uh, the, the the tap works without the power, right, <laughs> right. or something like that. Yeah. Very <laughs> I important. like that. Right, tap very important. Land. Um, so Norm goes down there. Diane is getting more and more anxious, and so she is gonna. Was she calling the police? I think. Is that what she was? Trying yeah. To yeah. Or the power. She company. was gonna I'm try sorry. to call the power. It's later on when she's gonna call. The oh police. yeah. She's gonna call the power company, and the phone is dead. And then Sam has this great line. I thought he's like, "Cut off from the outside world on a stormy night with a homicidal maniac on the loose. Isn't that always just the way?" Which <laughs> <laughs> doesn't do a lot to reassure her. But I thought it was a good Sam line. Yeah. And I thought as well, there's a scene of Diane lit by the candle. And she's, it's very, like, she looks very pretty, but it's very spooky as well. You know, it just kind of, again, adds to the atmosphere. It and, really does. Yeah. So they show that, and then you hear Norm screaming. And so then Diane gets pretty hysterical about that. And she's wondering what's happening to everybody. And... Sam is, you know, more kind of reality-based. He's calming her down. And he just says she's such a sucker, and they're trying to scare her. And then mm -hmm. he says, like, why don't you just go down there and get it over with? <laughs> <laughs> that got a big laugh, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Diane says, she's like, oh, of course. And she says she's such a goose. Such a goose. Which is one of her favorite words, I think. And then she says something about, she describes them as a devilish crew. Like, what else would I expect from this devilish crew? So a lot of, you know, Halloween words going on. And when she opens, when Diane opens the door, it was very creaky, like in a horror movie way. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. Yeah. And then she's going down the staircase. You hear like this dripping water and just, you know, it was, I, I liked it because again, it was very Halloweenish, but it didn't make sense in the situation. But I think that's part of the, the atmosphere of it. Right. It's got to be a little fantastical, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when, you know, what comes next. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like that, too. And, of course, her candle blows out. So everything from the 
people one by one going down into the cellar. That's you know a classic ghost story or horror story. And then Diane's candle blows out, and then and she can't get it to relight. And a light, little lighter comes on, and you see Andy. Andy. He says, "Hi there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. And so. Diane wakes up in Sam's office screaming on the sofa from her, you know, I guess she's still having her nap. And Sam and Fraser, did you notice how quickly they got to the door? Yes. They came running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, she screams and they open the door. Yeah. So there's no time in between. Mm-hmm. Which I also like looking at the time of watching it, like, you know, if you're just watching it for the first time, I think that that scene it's a little ridiculous or it seems like maybe it wasn't thoughtfully done but then looking back on it that in itself is very dreamlike right so diane says that sam was beastly to her in her nightmare and i thought he was perfectly fine (laughs) right right but she says that he's beastly (laughs) which i thought was also maybe I don't know, like a subconscious reference back to the pilot when she said that he was a magnificent pagan beast. Remember that? Yes, I do. Or that the, yeah. the caller had said that the woman that called him on the phone said, he, you're a magnificent pagan beast. I kind of mm-hmm. wondered about that. So, And then Fraser was left out of Diane's nightmare just as he had feared <laughs> in the <laughs> teaser that she wasn't dreaming about him. He wasn't in the nightmare either. Right. And then he thinks, you know, Sam shouldn't be meddling in Diane's dreams. And he says, starring in them is enough. So, this whole thing, this is this entire office scene of Fraser talking to Diane about how he's counseled Andy Andy, talked to him and counseled him and so forth. What did you make of all of that, the office scene? Because I kind of have a different opinion than I do of the rest of the episode. But. Huh. Um it's hard for me to talk about it without I don't want to spoil you know the whole episode even I mean at this early on in it but um just watching it in the moment not knowing you know what's going to be coming next Mm -hmm. it kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere you know and it also kind of seemed like this I don't know overly convenient and yet also kind of like a violation of trust somehow strangely enough like 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 that he would he would just out of nowhere go seek this guy out who he doesn't really have a a connection with right um and then all of a sudden he just steps in there as a counselor like like you know the guy didn't even pursue counseling right he just he just like i'm gonna step in and be the counselor and you know psychoanalyze you and whatever um so i don't know It, it was a little awkward i thought yeah I didn't. It's, I thought it was kind of unbelievable that Fraser would have like found Andy, Andy, and counseled him, and apparently based on Diane having the nightmares, like that just doesn't seem like that would be, you know. I mean, it seems like a violation of her confidence, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also wanting her to talk to him, that's a little crazy too. <laughs> yeah, it kind of seemed like why are you pushing so hard on this, you mm-hmm. know? But. But then, like, you have to kind of look back, again, like, not to spoil this, but you sort of have to look back as to, like, what she might be thinking mm-hmm. in Frasier wanting her to talk to him. You know, I, this is why I, I think another reason I like this so much is that there's so many different layers you can look at looking back at it after you know the ending. Hmm. Like, just character, you know, like, just character motivation points to her subconscious, right. maybe. Right. So... Yeah, and I yeah I didn't think the scene in the office was quite as compelling as the rest of it, but 
I don't know. Maybe I'm just not appreciating it properly. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do appreciate, though, is when Diane comes out of the office and Carla says that she heard screams and to what's to know, what was it like if she'd murdered Diane or if she was helping in any way? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so eager. <laughs> in the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Was I the one doing it? Was I helping in any way? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so Diane says she's shaken and she asks Sam for the rest of the evening off, which, you know, I mean, Diane could just go ahead and take time off apparently whenever she wants. Mm-hmm. I loved Carla's retort here because it's not even, it's just like an observation, a very mm-hmm. true observation, you know, and just, the, I don't know the way she delivers it, just like this kind of like, like she's not even mad about it. She's just no. like wondered about it. Like, you know, like, huh, you know, she came in, she fell asleep. Now she's going home. <laughs> the way she delivered that line, I really liked. That it. was great. I don't, I don't know. It was just. It well is. Done. It's just. Ma- yeah, it is just observational. Very matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. So Frazier, I think he sees an opening here as well to, you know, to maybe coddle Diane a bit. Says she needs a little TLC, tender loving crane, which I don't know. Well, um, and you know what's trying to kind of insinuate himself into the situation, I guess. Right. I remember when I was watching this the first time, I, I kind of thought, okay, so he's coming off very strong for someone who, mm-hmm. who had a kind of, you know, bitter breakup, right? And all of a sudden he's just like, here I am. You know what I mean? Right. And so it did kind of seem like, what are, what are you, did I miss something almost, you know? Right. Like, did I miss an episode where they, you know, were friendly again? I don't know. Right. It, or what are, but then again, like looking back and maybe we can like remember to discuss this, like what are her expectations of him? Like, is that what's coming out in this, you know? Mm-hmm. So Frazier says that Diane needs the influence of a strong and mature man and he's going to drive her home and then they get to the door and Andy, Andy does his hi there again. <laughs> and then they also, Frazier screams first, yeah. I think, and then Diane and then Andy. So they all scream. And she has a line here real quick. She, I think she's already referred to him as this, but she, she uses the phrase, refers to him as a homicidal cherub. And I just <laughs> yeah, that's, love that's right. that, that <laughs> I think I missed the first time earlier when she called him a cherub, but this, I think this was the time she used that phrase. Yes. I, I don't know. I just loved those two words together. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect, too. Yeah. She may not have said it. Maybe I just remembered her saying it earlier on because it's so striking when she says it here because it is a perfect description of him. <laughs> so we come back and Diana's already seated at the table, the little table they have in the back. And I thought it was interesting the way she's framed because it's almost like the camera's looking down on her. Or she's looking up um, as she's speaking to Andy Andy and she's just like a little too centered for reality. It almost looks like she's in a counseling session, but it's just a little bit surreal, I thought. Mm, I don't know yeah. if that, I don't know, just the filming of things, I think, interested me in this one too. I don't know if you noticed that. It's just interesting positioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, yeah, the way that, you know, he, he's just like right there at the door and I, just everything about this I really mm-hmm. like. And it's it's reminding me as you're talking about it, all these subtle things that you don't get on the first view. Right, you know? right. So Andy Andy wants Diane's forgiveness. He says he's leaving the country. We don't get any kind of real explanation as to why he's leaving the country. That seems a little strange, too. But he's leaving the country. He's also getting married to a wonderful girl, wonderful girl named Cynthia. So there's a whole part here, though, when, um, like, basically, Frazier wants Diane 
to, you know, forgive him and all of this. It's just, it's almost, I don't know. I thought that it was too instructive of Fraser. You know, he's asking a bit much of Diane, mm-hmm. I thought. What yeah, she's coming off. Yeah, I did. I thought he's very, coming off very strong. Like, like, what's it really matter if she forgives him or talks to him or makes amends? I mean, what does it really matter to him? I mean, I guess if he is involved as his, you know, therapist or whatever, he has right. that sort of vested interest in it, even though it's not really his place, <laughs> you right. know, in terms of advocating that she do that. But Right. Because he's almost talking to her like she's the guilty party. He's like, well, you could at least wish the man well, you know, <laughs> so she's done something to him. Right. Right. Which I, I don't know. I think that's that's an interesting way of seeing Frasier. Yeah. Um, so Andy basically wants Diane and everyone else to meet his fiance. And he's going to go through all of the, you know, the things that he has told her about them to make it seem like he has this normal life because she doesn't know about his past and she doesn't know he's been in prison. And in doing all of this, he says that, you know, he wants them all to meet her. He says, there's just one hitch. And then, do you remember this? Norm, just one hitch. And immediately Norm says, you killed her. You killed her. (laughs) I loved it. Oh, gosh. Everyone just like, you know, you know, hits him, slaps him, you know, nudges him or whatever. Like, how dare you? And I, he's just like, what? You know? Right. He was just so matter of fact about it, though. And it was just right immediate. Like, just one hit. You killed her. Like, yep. That's the most reasonable (laughs) explanation or the most reasonable suggestion. So. I love that. That's one of my favorite lines, I think, in this episode. Not my favorite, but it's definitely one of them. <laughs> so Sam suggests that, you know, I think he, you know, Sam wants to know from Fraser if Andy Andy has been cured and, you know, if they should help him and all of this. So he gets Diane and Fraser to come over to the side to talk to him. And I noticed when Diane gets up, she sort of snatches her purse off the table when she walks <laughs> over. Did you uh-huh. notice that? Yeah. And I did. I thought that was funny, and it also reminded me, just the gesture when I saw that, it reminded me of her doing that on their first date in that episode from the first season. I think she does mm-hmm. the same thing when she goes, gets up to go to the bathroom. So It's almost like, I, I kind of just thought of it like in terms of, you know, she, she doesn't trust this common criminal, right? Right, right in front of her, right. and she's just going to clutch it close to her, but yeah. Yeah. So Frazier says, Tim's asking if Andy is cured, and then Frazier has that line about a trained psychiatrist never using the word cured unless he's talking about ham, <laughs> which is kind of a dumb joke, but Sam mm-hmm. laughs along with it. Mm-hmm. Kind of and I love Frazier follows up with it. Um, he's like, uh, to be serious, or says something like that. Right, right, right. It's just a real subtle transition, but I liked how, you know, he's like, okay, now that I've made my funny my, for the day, I, to be exactly. serious, let <laughs> right. me get down to business. Right. So Sam wants to give Andy a chance, and then Fraser is, you know, almost in Diane mode, so moved by this. He's like, by George, Sam, sometimes out of the mouths of babes. And he's going to comment on Sam's personal growth or something, probably. And Sam is like, no, 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 let's not talk women now. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a line, something about, like, um, what was it? Like, it could be fun if he doesn't clench your keister too hard. Like, Sam makes some comment to Diane about that when they're talking about helping Andy Andy out with his girlfriend, or his fiance rather. Yeah. And then he and Fraser just think they're hilarious. So Diane's kind of, I mean, you know, she's not, um, I don't think they're treating her badly, but they're still, they're still teasing her a good bit about all of this. So um, Andy's going to coach them. And sure enough, Cynthia shows up early. So there's just no time, and he wants them to go along with him. Um, and so enter Cynthia, played by Nancy Cartwright. 
Do you know much about Nancy Cartwright? I didn't realize that was Nancy Cartwright. It's Nancy Cartwright. Well, okay. Um, as in voice of Bart Simpson. Correct. Oh, my God. I feel so stupid. I didn't even oh, no, really no, no. Don't. realize that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Wow, that's funny. I, <laughs> I totally guess you could that. say you could kind of hear it a little bit in the voice, but I don't, I mean, she's so good. I think you don't necessarily put that together. I just, and yeah. I never watched, I was never like a big Simpson viewer, but I mean, of course, like, I think most people know who she is and so forth, right. you know. Right. Well, in um, the voice normally you'd, I mean, but then again, you know, yeah. Bart Simpson it's is got not that quality. her pure voice. So, right, yeah. Yeah. right. But that's, yeah, now that you mentioned that, I'm going to go right back and look at it because I, I did not realize that was her. And my understanding is that she did some, um, acting like physical acting i don't mm-hmm. know if it was before or you know continuous with being a voice actor but mm-hmm. i think that her voice is you know just how it is is used to good effect in this so i could see her going on to be an iconic character mm-hmm. and I, I mean i think really everything that she does is just <laughs> pitch perfect for this role you know um even just the way that she comes in and she's so exuberant when she sees andy you know, she's like, Andy, I can't Andy, even do it. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> she's too much. Yes, it's like over the top, loving fiance mm-hmm. that's just so delighted by him. <laughs> and looking around, Andy, I really mm-hmm. love your bar. You know? <laughs> yeah, she's laying it on pretty thick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so Sam, mm-hmm. at that point, looks pretty concerned that she's, you know, thinks that Andy has told her that it's his bar. So, I don't know. I don't know. At this point, I was wondering, too, is like, are they helping him be kind of complicit in being a psychopath? <laughs> you know, and you not know, telling his fiance. You know, it, well, I should have brought that up a little earlier, but that's what I remember thinking. Because, you know, he's like, okay, um, just one little thing. I need another shot at life. Help me lie to this girl, mm-hmm. right? And it's And everyone's like, nobody seems to say that that's an issue. You know, oh, yeah, we'll just gloss over the fact that you're an attempted murderer and you know yeah no problem you know it it did seem a little too easy you know that oh everyone's going to be okay with doing that yeah um and i oh go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say which again when we see what comes later it it all makes perfect sense but when you're watching it through the first time it it did seem like something was off there it does because it seems like somebody diane sam someone would have some moral problem with convincing the woman that he's normal but at the same time it could have just, you know, I guess like the expectation would be that he has these friends and he has a life now and whatever about his past, he can tell her that. But maybe mm-hmm. they thought it was just going to be like, oh, yeah, Andy comes here and drinks and hangs out with us. And, oh, yeah. You know, we've been out a couple times. Like, they probably thought it was going to be like just very normal. And then maybe just, yeah, you know, him promoting them as friends a little more than they were actually for like that kind of thing. Not this huge scenario that he has concocted. Oh, absolutely. But still, and you can yeah. tell that when it all starts to kind of unravel that way. They they did probably just assume, okay, you know, she, in and out in five minutes, no big deal. And yeah. in that case, I can understand, okay, sure. But, you know, yeah, when it becomes the whole thing. <laughs> Once it gets rolling, right, and it's obviously this huge, huge lie, then it's, yeah, a bit, a bit concerning. Yeah. So Cynthia believes that Andy has given Sam, an ex-con, a second chance at life, and that Sam is a flasher. So that's <laughs> Sam's designation. Mm-hmm. Um, Diane thinks that's hilarious until Cynthia says, like, you must be Diane. Poor, poor Diane. <laughs> <laughs> 
and how she knows everything, how Diane so wanted to have Andy's child. And then I think Frasier is the next one, the poor mm-hmm. wretch you've been counseling. And <laughs> yeah. Frasier's face when he can smile, because he's kind of standing there with that goofy looking grin. Mm-hmm. And then it just sort of like stays in place, but freezes when he learns that Andy has been counseling him, apparently. Right. Um, and he's just, I think they just like kind of stand there and shake hands for a while. And that whole bit about that you're still having, what was it she said? Like, you're still having trouble with that little habit. That little habit. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and Norm and Cliff are just getting a lot out of that. Like, oh, what little habit there, Frazier? <laughs> I think even Diane was like, oh, do tell, you know, so they're all, they're pretty much enjoying that. Yeah. And Andy admits very somberly that Frazier is a kleptomaniac (laughs) and is not making progress. He shoplifted his entire wardrobe. And Frazier makes some comment about his pants being very hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I even like, you know, Woody didn't, he hasn't been part of the Andy Andy story before. So he's kind of new to this. But Andy asks, I like the thing, what I was going to say is like, I like how they built him in here. Because Andy asks how much money they have in the register. Mm-hmm. You know, and Sam tries to lowball. It's like, oh, a couple hundred bucks. And then Woody chimes in, like, are you kidding? We must have a thousand in here. <laughs> <laughs> I love Sam. He's got this retort we've heard a few times. Thanks, Woody. Thanks for that, you know, or whatever. Just, you know, very, I don't know. Something about the way he says that. Yeah. That's true. He did say it then. And he said it Mm -hmm. in a previous episode when he asked Woody to count the receipts. And Woody was like, there are eight of them or whatever it was. He's like, thanks, Woody. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the way he delivers that one. I do too. I hadn't noticed that. That's great though. So Andy wants to take the money for his trip. And, you know, we see Sam hesitate and Diane goes back like unclench your cash register you know going back to his teasing of her mm-hmm. and so he he does he lets him take the money and then norm asks about tearing up his bar tab wants andy to tear up his bar tab <laughs> and i love that there's a box of his tab yeah All his receipts are <laughs> in this box with his name on it i mean it's obviously uh-huh. gimmicky but i don't know i just liked it and then he just hands it over and starts rifling through it i, mm-hmm. I just like that whole site you know i do too this is his own little box and then <laughs> cliff asks about his and he's like not a chance which i thought was really i think it's funny that even in you know this this rendering of the story you know which you know we're gonna learn is of course not real but even in this norm is the popular one and cliff is not like norm is allowed to tear up his bar tab mm-hmm. and has his own like you said his own box of bar tab and can tear up his bar tab and and cliff can't so i, th- I thought that that was a funny consistency mm-hmm. yeah yep. so andy's taking sam's money and then he grabs and kisses diane he's like diane baby for old time's sake and it's basically a, like, you know, mildly assaulting her in the bar. And then you go to Cynthia, his fiance, as he's like mauling Diane. She's like, the man just gives and gives, gives and, and gives. gives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's so over the top, that character. Like, like yeah. you just wonder where he found her at. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> and you'd have to find somebody like that. That is that unassuming and just not even just unassuming whatever it is about her that there's just no insight <laughs> right exactly um 
that would be interested in him, I guess. So then we have uh, Cynthia leaving. Cynthia and Andy are leaving, and Carla's up there at the landing and says, like, I love your choker. <laughs> and says, I'm not wearing a choker. I was like, you will be. You will be. <laughs> and Andy just kind of, like, drags Cynthia away. Yeah. That was a great... Carla really, I think, has some great lines in this episode mm-hmm. as a, you know, it's not her episode, but she, I definitely think she has some great lines. She does. She really does. Um, so far, and this is not the first episode, she's gotten some great lines in this season. Like she's mm-hmm. just, I think they've just arrived at her form. The the one-liners, the, the quick wit. I mean, right. I feel I like she's that. arrived. I mean, she probably arrived a long time ago, but I, I've noticed it in all these, you know, recent episodes. Right. No, I think you're right. She's kind of like come into her own complete character i think and then they've just you know found out that she works is that sort of like just she'll be placed in the right place or she'll step up into a conversation and just say the right thing at the right time you know Mm -hmm. timing is perfect i agree with that yeah so diane is wanting to call the police because andy has taken all of sam's money and Mm -hmm. um sam insists that andy's gonna be back you know that he trusts him and she's telling him he's crazy and, you know, saying something about, like, all the time she's insulted his intelligence, but he really is crazy this time and so forth. So then Andy comes back with Sam's money, gives him back all the money, and says that he's most touched that Diane trusted him. <laughs> so he's really pushing Diane's guilt buttons there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then Diane apologizes and says to Sam, she's, so Sam has just kind of put the money and quietly walked off to his office. And Diane apologizes and says, how could I have been so wrong? And then we have another Carla right there line, a lifetime of practice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she is just firing on all cylinders, a comedy one. She is. So this next scene, this is, I think... Well, anyway, we'll go into. I was gonna say it's one of my favorite office scenes. I just love it, but it's a play on all these office scenes we've seen for you know over three years at this mm-hmm. point, for sure. Sam is looking at a musical score when Diane comes in the office, and she's apologizing to him for not believing him, you know, not trusting Andy, Andy, and so forth. And then Sam has Sam has this statement on forgiveness. Yes, and he's like, "Don't worry, Diane, I forgive you." And then. He recites, because he's not reading a book at that time. He's looking at this musical score. He Mm -hmm. quotes, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed that blesseth him that gives and him that takes. (laughs) And Diane's just like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then is just stunned that Sam has said this. Yeah. So what what was your impression at this point? Because the office, it's taken a turn already, this scene, mm-hmm. from what the expectation would be. Yeah, I, I didn't really, I, <laughs> I was floored too. Um, <laughs> I didn't really know. I mean, I, it, was, it was definitely off. It was, to me, it felt very off. And I was mm-hmm. kind of, I, I don't know, I probably should have caught on a little quicker, but I, I didn't really know where they were going to go with that. And okay. then it quickly, as it, as it, you know, keeps building and building and, and you know, he puts on his, um, you know, his outfit and, and it just mm-hmm. keeps going on. It's like, okay, this is clearly something that's not actually happening. <laughs> right. Right. Because it gets more and more 
like it was just outlandish. Yeah. At yeah. first, he brings the book of verse, and I mean, this, these are things that could physically happen. He brings a book of verse, but or, you know, are unlikely for Sam. So the book of verse out of the storage closet. And he's like, well, perhaps Blake said it best. And he's like, and throughout eternity, I forgive you, and you forgive me. And then he does this like motion, sliding his hand up and down the spine of the book. You know, <laughs> it's like kind of final gesture. <laughs> That's probably the best part of it. Um, Diane is still floored. And he comes back out putting on this red velvet smoking jacket. He has, I think at that point he has the pipe. Yes. And she's and just... He mm. talks about, sorry, no, with that, he talks about, you know, how, how could you have fallen for this this buffoon Finish. act that I perfected or whatever. <laughs> yes. yeah. I, I was thinking about this when I watched this somewhat recently. And I, cause I, I feel like I would not... At the age that I was when I had first seen this episode years before, and I didn't remember a lot of it over the years, but I don't know that I would have heard the phrase buffoonish facade anywhere else. <laughs> and I, but I remember using those words or like being familiar with that term as something I picked up from Cheers as a child. <laughs> really says, was must-see TV, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Great, great learning experience. He says, you really didn't believe that buffoonish facade I've been perpetrating for the benefit of my blue-collar clientele, did you? And there's nowhere else I would have heard that. So. Right. That's great. just great. Yeah. <laughs> and Diane says that her heart is just racing. And he's like, oh, dear. Well, I know just the thing. And it's his responses in this whole scene, too. Just, oh, dear. Oh, my. Oh, well. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he goes over and he opens the the desk, like the whatever, like the drawer, I guess, in the bottom of his desk. And then there is the tray with the hot tea and the, mm-hmm. you know, like everything is piping hot and steaming. Do you know what this kind of reminded me of? And oh. I, I haven't seen this movie or read anything about this in years and years, but it kind of reminded me of like Alice in Wonderland. I right? thought you were going to say that. Of, it it yep. just, you know, and at this point it's the outlandish. Mm-hmm whatever of it that you know oh he's got this 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 pot of tea that's just been boiling and it hasn't spilled over and i don't know it just it took me to that and then you know with the pipe you know and the caterpillar from that that's a great i'm referring to probably the the disney film or whatever but um i don't know i just had that imagery in my mind no that makes perfect sense i didn't think about that and even like the red smoking jacket and the just the dress and the Mm -hmm. you know all of that i could see that yeah that's great. That's a great because it is. It has that sort of surreal element too. He's just he's just missing a pocket watch, right? I'm mm-hmm. late. I'm late for a very important date. Is that from that as well? I'm late. I don't I'm know. Late. Okay, I don't know either. I'm probably <laughs> mixing all sorts of Disney stuff. But anyway, that's okay. I don't know. It just that, that's the image that came to my mind. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's great. Um, and then he says, but also like the musical element too. That could probably fit in. Because yeah, Diane is, yeah. you know, again, she's talking about how she's never found him so attractive. And that, that's when he says, like, oh, well, how nice. <laughs> you know. And he says that he would like to play Diane a little something from an opera he's been writing. It's mm-hmm. based on the Old Testament. <laughs> I just... <laughs> that was a stroke of genius. I just, oh, gosh, uh-huh, I think uh-huh. that's so funny. Based on the Old Testament. <laughs> very specific the old testament mm-hmm. not much happened there so you know right right it's, it's enough to fit it. into an opera <laughs> right I, I just thought that was a that was great but sam i think sam has enough just in regular like the real world of cheers he has enough of an erudite sensibility and refinement 
even if it's not developed or he doesn't show it all the time, but he has enough of that to make this version of Sam like plausible as Sam in a dreamscape, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I think it's probably it's probably Ted Danson and his portrayal of Sam, obviously, but there is something about him that you can see this being, you know, a, a, a Sam that Diane would create in a dream, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something you thought about or you know you agree with that or not oh yeah no i mean definitely like this is this is like her ultimate fantasy i think Mm -hmm. is what we're supposed to be seeing here you know um right and so how it how they pull it off in this sequence i i just again i i really think it's just genius in terms of how over the top it is and yet in line with you know kind of what we know about her and what she likes and her her interests Yeah. yeah right Right. And so he tries to describe this symphony as having the brooding intensity, intensity of Mahler and the pesky insouciance of Poulenc. <laughs> I didn't know what any of that meant. I'm not going to lie to you. And I didn't I got look the it Mahler up. part. All right. I'm not sure. I've never heard. The only place I've heard of Poulenc is in this episode. And I don't know. Mm. That's all I know. I could kind of understand the Mahler part a little bit. Um, I, I, I still think it's a great comment though right i mean you can get it and appreciate it without knowing too much about who those people are i think because it's just just um uh what's the word i'm looking for distinct not distinct rare i don't know yeah 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 (laughs) specific i don't know but it's something (laughs) it's something more particular yes or it gives yeah, yeah it, but it's kind of like I feel like the Old Testament, though very broad, is also gives a particular tone as to what he's trying to describe, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's funny too to think of like the Old Testament as having any sort of pesky insouciance, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but in Sam's oh. opera, I guess it does. So he pulls this keyboard out, puts it on the desk, and then he's playing, and Diane. <laughs> She goes like from this astounded look on her face and she kind of at one point closes her eyes and then reopens them like staring vixenishly at him. Like Shelley Vaughn does a great job going from one expression to another in that moment, I think. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. she's completely astounded and then she's completely aroused, I would say, just looking at him, you know. So she goes over and she wants him to just put aside <laughs> the keyboard and so forth. Um, and she's talking about how she, I want you and all of this. And I don't know, I think that he just has a similar, like a response, kind of like, oh, goodness, you know, like another one of those sorts of responses. Mm-hmm. And then this part, his response to this is one of my favorite lines in all of Cheers. She says, let me be the instrument you play on. And then he replies, Diane, do you realize that you just ended that proposition with a preposition? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's just, that's it. made it. me that's think like, of a, a specific, I don't remember the episode, but I, and it may be on more than one occasion where she has corrected somebody and made that same remark about you ended that phrase with a preposition or, right. or you know, ridiculed them or whatever. So it, I liked how they tied that in. Yes. Yeah. There was a time I remember, and as you said, I'm sure it's more than once, but he said something about, don't you have customers to wait on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and what was it? And I think that he, she said it ended with a preposition, and he may have like tried to correct it and added another preposition. And then he says something like, don't you have customers to wait on mullet head? Yes. <laughs> I do remember that one. I think one. that was in season one. <laughs> but yeah, all of that leads to that one quotation, and I just think it's perfect. Yeah. 
so she's unoffended by this. They are kissing, and Sam knocks the pipe on the desk. And then the next moment, Diane wakes up. So I presume that was like the knock on the office door was the knock mm-hmm. of the pipe on the desk. Mm-hmm. And then Sam's waking her up. And she asks if he has, in the midst of this conversation, she asks if he has a velvet smoking jacket. And then back I'm in... smoking in all my jackets. Yep. Back in <laughs> true fashion. True Sam fashion. Yeah. So she, you know, basically describes the episodes as that tells Sam that she thought she was waking up from a dream, but she was in another dream. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> at some point in this, Cliff comes in to tell Sam to come back to the word game. That Woody's on the verge of forming a syllable. I like that they. <laughs> Were you gonna say something? Or just no, no, I just just his that line. Yeah. Syllable. I like that it's still framed within that one word game too. Mm-hmm. It started in the teaser, and then they're still playing this game. So it's all transspired just during this evening of them playing word games at the bar. Exactly. That's really a neat like little. That. Yeah. 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 And so Sam wants to know. Basically, if they got together in her dream, she says, certainly not. And he said it really was a bad dream, you know. So he gets his dig in there. And then we have this final moment, which I really like. Diane sits at Sam's desk, and she's looking around. She sees a pipe mm-hmm. and picks it up. She sniffs it, I think, first, and then smiles, and then picks it up and blows bubbles with it. I like that. I like that she just kind of played with it, you know. <laughs> And I wondered too if maybe she had noticed if it had been if the pipe had been on his desk earlier, maybe she kind of subconsciously worked it into her dream. Thought that was a possibility. Yeah, I, I liked how you know you have this image of you know the pipe, the sophistication, right, of, mm-hmm. of what it was in her dream, and then it's just nothing but a, a prop toy or whatever. So right. I, I liked how that brought you back down to earth. You know, <laughs> it does. It does. It's yeah. got that playful spirit at the end. And it is almost like the, you know, like when Halloween's over and it's just not so spooky anymore and just kind of have a, I don't know. I just, I thought it was a good, fun way to end the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So overall, I just, I really, I like the way the episode flows too. It just seems mm-hmm. like it goes by quickly. Like everything just goes really well into the next bit. I got to say my opinion, uh, I, I, I like this episode. I really did. Um, I mm-hmm. will say I, I really liked how it started off. And I kind of mm-hmm. thought, okay, we're going to have this just downright creepy Halloween episode, which right. we got for the first act. And then it yep. kind of, you know, we, we kept Andy Andy. So there was kind of that, you know, thread or whatever. But it right. kind of went in a different direction than what I thought it would. I, I kind of thought, mm-hmm. okay. She's going to, they're playing a trick on her, you know, we're going to have some Halloween pranks or whatever. She's going to go down into the cellar. So I, I like that whole first act the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I also liked what came next. It just was different than what I guess I kind of thought we were going to get starting out. Yeah. Um, but in talking through these aspects with you just now, it's made me kind of see things that not, not necessarily things I missed, but I didn't really think of it in terms of, oh, here's how it operates in a dream, right? Versus mm-hmm. an episode that is quote unquote in real life, right? The little, the, the, the exaggerations of certain characters, you know, the, the, the passing of time, you know, little things that, right. you know, when you have a dream, they rarely make logical real life sense in most ways. So when you look back knowing, okay, this was a dream within a dream, you kind of have a little more context. So it's made me appreciate some of the things they did more. That's very interesting. I'm glad as well, because I think 
trying to remember back to the time when I rewatched this when I hadn't watched Cheers in forever. So I probably had forgotten some of how it went and ended because I know that I would have been more taken with that first acts just like you were like mm-hmm. the spooky everybody's going down into the cellar and just continuing that tone yeah. you know through the episode but then just having the entire i don't know the second part is then you know has good humor and so forth mm-hmm. um but then yeah like appreciating the dreamlike aspects of it and then the office scene i think has the you know very overt dream aspects after a while and great lines and sam's performance like ted danson's performance i think is perfect in that mm-hmm. so i don't know i wouldn't say the middle part is weaker because i think it has a lot to it but I oh think yeah that it has yeah. more like once you like look back again like you're saying and yeah you know see some of the the dream parts that are still in there yeah definitely not weaker um just different from what mm-hmm. i expected yeah, i, I guess when standard, I, I, guess. I sat down and i thought oh good we're gonna get and i and i really liked it you know the right. whole episode was the whole episode was very different from any other cheers episode we've had to this point um, based on the fact that it was, you know, a dream within a dream. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know, just the way it started off right out of the gate, it was so atmospheric. And right. I I don't know. I guess I kind of, on, on one hand, I kind of would have liked to see them continue that, that particular mm-hmm. atmosphere a little bit more. But that being said, we got something different, and it had its own individual strengths with, with like, the act two, the, the second dream, if you will. Right. So. I, yeah, I could have, I would have liked to have more atmosphere as well. I think I've gotten over it just from having watched it more, but I definitely would have liked to, that would have been my, originally my preference is to have the atmosphere continue through the whole episode. Mm-hmm. But I really did enjoy this one. And like I said, I knew, you know, we talked beforehand and you told me that this was one of your favorites from the first I know, I shouldn't uh, have said five that. years. No, 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 no. <laughs> it, it, no, actually, I think it, it helped because I was looking at, you know, I know that you notice some of the littler things, right? The smaller aspects that that, that stand out that make you appreciate an episode even mm-hmm. more than just maybe a casual viewer might. And so I kind of had an eye for that going right. through it, you know, like right. oh, to, to notice some of those little aspects on, on the rewatches through. So, no, I, I was intrigued and I can see a lot of what you like, you know, particularly in that first act. Um, it's just set up so well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a very strong episode. It's just it's so different from what we've gotten to this point that I was a little bit like, huh, you know, it was a little thrown. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, too, it's, it is great to go back and look at even the things that don't necessarily have to be interpreted, interpreted, interpreted in a dreamscape kind of way. Mm-hmm. kind of fit into that like the words that cliff comes up with i mean it's cliff coming up with nonsense words so that in itself in itself is explanation enough but also it just the nonsense words are more dreamlike or like when you mentioned alice in wonderland i'm like okay that kind of goes in as well just like the great horned murn and flork and snarl like all of those sound like <laughs> words that might make sense in a dream Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and then, like, we're talking about, like, the, just the way people are framed and so forth. Um, what I mentioned that Ryan noticed about the raincoats all being the same. Like, but those are subtleties that, I mean, I think that watching, like, I won't unsee it now that I know that that's there. But right. being able to see those things think just adds to that layer of it being a dream it does i mean there's so many of those little things that you know i i didn't even notice the first or second time that i rewatched it through mm-hmm. so and and it makes me want to go back and look at those again and notice those little those little quirks like i said the things that happen you know in a dream that don't make sense i mean right. it's not as 
in your face in this episode, but when you go back and you know the context, you can notice some of those subtleties. Like I said, the way time passes or, you know, maybe how, mm-hmm. how Frazier, for instance, is so insistent and he just kind of steps all over the situation and becomes this, you know, the guy's counselor and whatever. All, all those aspects that, you know, it's like now that you know, oh, this was a dream, it makes a little more sense that, oh, okay, that's why it was a little off. <laughs> you know? Right, like is well. Also, like is Diane, is is it her thinking in just in real life that Fraser's being too intrusive? So in her nightmare, mm-hmm. she made him this kind of intrusive person that wants mm-hmm. attention, or what? You know, like how is it her her mind that is creating that? Are we supposed <laughs> to think that? <laughs> right. So many levels there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun episode. This was a fun one, and there's so much, obviously, because it's been an hour. <laughs> there's right, so yeah, much oh, to take into yeah. it. <laughs> That's true. That's why, I mean, to me, I'm like, oh, it's over before you know it, even though I think a lot goes into it. I mean, you have three very distinct portions of the episode, you know? Yes. Yeah. So. Oh, gosh. I'm sure there's a lot more, but did you have anything else that comes to mind right now? Uh, I, again, I just say it's a real fun episode, and yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me, I think. That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Stemmy and Andy Laker. How are you doing, Andy? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. So this is episode six of season four of Cheers. It is titled, I'll Gladly Pay You Tuesday. And it was written by Cherie Eichen and Bill Steinkellner. I believe this is the first time that we have had them as writers for Cheers, but they will be with the show for quite a long time. Um, oh well, as both writers and then later producers too. So that's if that's this is be a good run. If this is their first outing, then I have high hopes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fun. So the log line is: Diane borrows five hundred dollars from Sam to purchase a signed first edition copy of Ernest Hemingway's *The Sun Also Rises*, insisting to Sam that she'll pay him back in full. Carla, knowing that Diane has spent the money on a book, which Sam, you know, told Diane that he didn't really want to know what she spent it on. It didn't matter. But Carla keeps goading him and she keeps goading and needling Sam about Diane spending little bits of money on other luxuries, having not paid him back yet. So when Sam explodes from frustration after Carla's nonstop uh, harassment, basically, or goading, Diane entrusts Sam with the book for safekeeping as collateral until she can pay him back the $500 loan. So we start, we have a teaser that's really not related to the rest of the episode in any, you know, any direct way. Um, But I think it's kind of fun. Norm is shoving himself into the men's restroom. He's the only character that we can see. 
And we hear, you know, some chatter going on the inside. Woody says they'll have the bathroom stuffing record. <laughs> so Norm finally shoves his way in there. The door shuts and they're cheering. And then they can't get the door open because there are too many people in the bathroom. So they're all, you know, talking about this, what they're going to do. And a couple walks into the bar. And the man says something about how the bartender must have stepped out. And he has to use the restroom. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he knocks on the door and the crowd in the bathroom yells, occupied. And that's it. So <laughs> it's so dumb, but <laughs> I thought this was a great teaser. I just I just I enjoyed too. it. I mean, you kind of get the first little bit. You just have Norm kind of against the door. He kind of wiggles his ass in the door, you know, to yep. get in there. And I... <laughs> It just, I just thought, it just seemed like, yeah, this is the dumb stuff that they would do at a, on a slow night. And so then it makes exactly. you wonder, you know, who all is in there. I mean, presumably oh, yeah. it's all men, but, you know, Cliff. Oh, no, uh, I would think it'd be everybody. Everybody? Okay, see, I, I didn't know. I mean, I'm just saying, because there's nobody else in the bar. I don't think the women left. Right. I would bet it's Carla and Diane, like all of them. But you wonder if the women would, would want to go along with something as dumb as that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it seems like maybe something just all the guys would. I don't know. But anyway, that's the fun part because you don't know who's in there. You only right. see Norm doing it. He's the last one in. Right. And I don't know. Just the whole way it's set up. Again, it, it's 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 goofy. But mm-hmm. I I don't know. I just I bought it. And I thought it was a really clever idea to do it that way. I do too. I think it's short and it's amusing. I think it's exactly what a like a teaser should be. Yeah, it's a quintessential teaser. And actually, teaser. it does kind of connect to the to the subplot though of the episode, right? With 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 because they fail at it. The record and the record. yeah, they fail at it, and and Cliff is kind of depressed about that, and so that leads him on to try to do another world record. This other record, right? Yep. Yeah, because there, there's like this little thread of records going on in the episode. That's a that's a good point. That's a good point. And it does make it seem like they probably do something like this from time to time. You know, like you said, like <laughs> yeah. just the shenanigans you get into when you're everybody that comes to the bar regularly is a little bit bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So in the episode, they do start with Cliff saying they blew the bathroom stuffing record. Mm-hmm. And um, Woody says he miscounted. He listed himself as both Woody and as me. <laughs> Of course he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you can imagine Sam saying, thanks, Woody. Thanks, but Woody. He's not here to say that. <laughs> yeah. Norm drinks to noble failure. Here's to noble failure, which I love. That is just, we have seen so far that that is kind of Norm's attitude toward life. Like, well, yeah. I tried it. Here's to noble failure. That's right. That's yeah. very much him. That's how, how it is. And Cliff says he can't drink to noble failure. Which, as you said, does set up him later on doing this backward walking thing, trying to get that record. Mm-hmm. But when he says that he can't drink to a noble failure, in swoops Carla to say that if he could, he'd be a duke. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Good wordplay there. Oh, she's on fire this episode, too. I think we talked mm-hmm. about that just with the last um, episode five, but um, she's on fire again here. I mean, she's got some one-liners here to beat the band, really. I mean, She it's... does. Yeah. So, and just, and yeah, and her role that we'll get into in a few minutes of just being that kind of provocateur, you know, of Sam, mm-hmm. the little, the little devil on his shoulder, if you will. Yeah. So Diane starts to remove, um, she's kind of working away around the bar and she's removing unempty glasses. They don't look full, but they're unempty. Um, and I think it's Steve who's kind of the younger 
somewhat unpleasant. <laughs> he's, he's not that pleasant to people, but he barks at her. The glasses aren't empty. So she apologizes and then she says she's distracted. And Norm asks her if she has problems or if this is just the usual. <laughs> the usual. I love it because I love how he's like, it's it's honest, right? I mean, yeah. it's honest, it's true. And yet he realizes he may, he stepped into the hornet's nest and he tries to back out. And it's just like, oh, crap. Yeah, I just love right. this whole bit here. But also it's a very like a knowing comment to make. Like he knows Diane well enough by this point to know how she is. He couldn't have said that, I don't think, in a previous season. Right. You know, and right. she's kind of like doing the head shaking like the usual, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> she does. She says she has to come up with $500 as quickly as possible. And then there's this whole back and forth joking about Diane's hair and about Carla's hair. Because I think, doesn't Carla say something about like to pay off or to bribe? What was it? What hush, it was? Money, hush, hush money. Hush money for Miss Clairol. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then Diane says, you know, I love what you've been doing with your hair. You should keep washing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It there's uh, there's so many of these there. little bits that, again, don't really relate to obviously the overall plot, but they're just great moments. Cliff kind of gets a laugh out of that. Yeah. And, you know, Carla gives him the death glare. And he's like, that was totally out of uncalled for or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, just like little funny character bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Diane asked Norm if he's familiar with the Farthing for Your Thoughts bookstore. And he replies to her that he's dallied there betimes. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just so amused with it, that, his little response. She is. I like that. She's like, oh, good. You know, I just really like that rapport and that, that entire scene with Diane and Norm, the back and forth. Mm-hmm. I really like their rapport. Um, and it's helping me to enjoy Diane a lot more, the, her responses and just the kind of like the teasing manner, the friendly teasing manner that she's developing with people. Right. She's kind of, you feel like after four years, she's kind of starting to get the hang of it, right? Yeah. She's willing to kind of play along with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then just Norm speaking back to her in that way, you know, is kind of fun and teasing too. And I could see him dallying batons at a... A bookstore like that, maybe, you know, it sort mm-hmm. of opens up a new kind of possibility for Norm. So Diane says that she has unearthed a rare Hemingway volume. And then she says that she knows everybody is doubting that her sensitive, Diane Chambers' sensitivity is attuned to Hemingway. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then Woody says, like, wow, that's really close. <laughs> so... Diane says the book has Hemingway's signature on the title page and is priced at a laughable $500. Would you know what's funny here? Um, I, th- I think, I mean, okay, so this is what year? We're in um, 80, what, 5, 86 five, now? Okay. 85, yep. So Late 85. that was $500 then, which is mm-hmm. considerably more now. Right. <laughs> so the fact that she calls it laughable. I don't know. I I just feel like that that seems like that's priced about what it should be priced at to me, knowing very little of that of that, you know, rare mm-hmm. book world really. But um anyway, now that you bring that up, it, it is it that she's like it's a laughable $500 and that right. she thinks so, oh, you know, I can maybe make a profit from it eventually later on. It, it just it does seem a little bit like I don't know, I don't know if I trust your math on all this. I know. I know. <clears throat> I'm finding a website that says adjusted for inflation, $500 in 1985 is, is uh, equal to $1,237 in 2021. Oh, wow. That seems like a lot to double. That though, does seem but, like a lot. Well, but yeah. yeah, and the fact that 
you know, she's just at this used bookstore and they're selling a book for $500, the equivalent mm-hmm. of over a thousand today. It, again, we're, we're, you know, niggling on these little things, but um, it is interesting that, that she thinks, oh, that's for someone who's on a waitress's earnings. Okay. First off, you know, right. it's, it's a lot for anybody, but especially when that's your job and, you know, presumably yeah. you'd have to save up quite a bit and forego other things for that. So... Right. It's kind of funny. I'm, I'm sure she's responding to, like, she's in her mode of appreciating the book and the fact that it is this first edition with his signature in it rather than thinking in terms of her own budget, clearly. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Carla suggests that Diane ask her mother for the money. And Diane says she's rather die, she'd rather die. And Carla says, I'd like that even better. <laughs> it's yeah. another, once again, another great Carla retort. Mm-hmm. So Diane says she told her mother she'd prove her own worth. I think that's interesting because we have, you know, we've talked a little bit before about Diane's, um, how Diane values money or her attitude toward money because it has come up a couple times before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Cliff mentions that Diane's mother carried her for nine months. It's like, kind of like the argument, like, well, she's your mother. She would help you out and so forth. So then Diana says, or Diana, Diane says she was premature and Carla says couldn't wait to get out and start yapping. Yep. <laughs> so, yet another one. I mean, in that whole little exchange, you got a couple good ones in. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, I think the people at the bar seem concerned, to say the least, that she's going to ask them because she talks about, like, if you can't turn to your friends, who can you turn to and all of this? And then she says that the thought occurred to ask Sam, and she's not sure because of their past relationship. Mm-hmm. And we have this bit when Woody volunteers to give Diane every bit of money that he has, <laughs> which you know is not going to be close to $500. No. But he just earnestly does that. He's just going to give her all of his money and realize his pockets have been picked again. And, then, and she ends up giving him money, doesn't yes, she? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah. But Cliff says, like, welcome to the big city. And then it's almost like Woody just entirely forgot just the nature of sarcasm and the topic of the conversation of, mm-hmm. ha- you know, being robbed. And he's like, thank you, Mr. Clavin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> laugh, so you know? pleasant. And yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So then Woody, or sorry, Diane kind of, like you said, just gives Woody money, just kind of quietly gives him some of her money. And I think that this is something that I hadn't thought about with this episode when I've watched it in the past, is that there's this financial plot about Diane being a spendthrift that goes through the entire thing, but it starts with her giving Woody money, you know, and I mm-hmm. think that there are points throughout as well that I'm noticing now where she is more, she is generous. It's just, she doesn't seem to have a sense of like control and spending, but it does start with her giving her, him money instead of him giving her money. So, right. Which I thought was, a, a, I think that's a, an important part of her character too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Diane goes to Sam's office and she has this whole preamble and when she you know when she gets to the point when she just asks him for the money he says sure but she goes through this whole rigmarole first you know rather than just cutting to the chase mm-hmm. um she asks him if it's a bad time he's like no but i think it's about to be <laughs> at which point she calls him a goose which we have learned is one of her favorite words she used yeah. in the last episode on herself and she talks about the relationship asking if it's matured and Sam said, yeah, it's getting kind of old. And yeah. I, <laughs> I love that one. And did you get how she describes him? Yes, I did, because I, <laughs> I, I this was one of the first kind of literary 
winks, if you will, on right. the episode. She's like, oh, you're uh, something like you're a regular Noel Coward with a liquor license. Liquor license. <laughs> right. right. And he's genuinely I puzzled. It. I do, too. Yeah. It was a great comment yeah. she made. And he doesn't know what that means at all. But I thought it was a fantastic mm-hmm. remark that she made. Mm-hmm. And then she talks about him being a man of pride and principle and strength is found in flexibility. And she's going on about the the willow and the oak trees and all of this, you know. Um, which I guess, like she says later, she was nervous about asking him. She's going through all these examples of trees until finally his argument back about different types of trees used in furniture. <laughs> you know, and which are the strongest you know, because she says something like the oak, and he's like, well, what about this? And what about birch and mahogany and all of that? So she's just like, will you loan me $500? And he says he will, sure. He's happy not to know what she wants to buy. He kind of goes through some, like, what is it? Like, whatever you babes buy and talks about, like, I don't remember all of the things, but one of them was sewing notions. Yes, he <laughs> you know, makes all like these sorts of assumptions. It, it's, yeah. I almost was expecting her to kind of, storm out in anger and be like never mind for making you know what might be interpreted as you know sexist comments or whatever right, right? so right. Um, but she didn't because you know she wanted that money <laughs> but um yeah, yeah no she, she he does kind of you know make these like i don't know he did say the soe notions and a couple other things but yeah yeah that's funny so he gives her the money um he says something about like he knows how hard it was for for you to come in here begging like a dog for a bone. <laughs> He's having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they really, I mean, they do. They seem to have this good back and forth rapport, even when sort of insulting each other. And then we have this financial glimpse, gl- glimpse again into Sam about how he's had trouble loaning money to people in the past. Mm-hmm. And he's lost some friendships about it and so forth. So he says he now just gives people money when they ask and expects never to see it again. And so Diane, referring to herself in the third person, announces that she always honors her debts. Diane Chambers always honors her debts or something like that. <laughs> so she says that it was hard for her to ask the money. She admits it was hard given their past physical relationship. And then Sam has this line about, yeah, it kind of feels like you should be giving me the money. It? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was yeah. funny. It was. I thought it was, a, again, like just a, a friendlier back and forth rapport mm-hmm. between them that I enjoy. Yeah. Norm comes in at this point. He's eating at the Hungry Heifer, and he's having heartburn. He says it's the best value in town and that their steaks come by the pound. And then Woody seems amazed that steaks are that big, and Carla tells him, like, no, no, no that's where they get them. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. And mm-hmm. Norm recommends Thursday when the chef does his tribute to swine. And then he does that, like, the, is it like an Italian finger kissing? And just like, you know, the finger kissing yeah. gesture, mm-hmm. like the fine... That it's like a fine event or fine dining. Fine dining, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I always enjoy those little Hungry Heifer references. It sort of builds the character of the place over the years, you know. Mm -hmm. That Norm's just been at the Hungry Heifer. He comes in and he says, what's the, Sam asks him, I can't remember what he asks him, what's the something, he he says, pop, pop, fizz, 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 Mm Alka-Seltzer or whatever. (laughs) That was funny. Yeah, and I think Sam gets him an Alka-Seltzer. Yeah, yeah. Carla, at this point, we learn it's been two weeks since Sam loaned Diane this money, and Carla wants to know if Diane has paid her back. And Sam says no, but he defends Diane by saying she can't pay that money back immediately. She's just a hardworking waitress. And <laughs> Carla, she got a job as a waitress somewhere. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> that was that really was good too. So Diane comes out, I guess out of the pool room with a drink order and Carla is just gushing over this new sweater that Diane has. Is this a new sweater? Is that cashmere, if I guess correctly, or something like to that end? Mm-hmm. And Diane says it was marked down 2%. <laughs> I know. I thought 2%. Oh, I know. Boy. Right. Unless it was, I mean, it would have to be a fortune to be worth purchasing if it's marked down just two percent well and again but, maybe once you adjust for inflation like anything else maybe that's still, maybe two percent is two percent now though. but yeah i know it's yeah. <laughs> so yeah. carla calls attention to diane's splurge on the cashmere and we have a little interlude here and you mentioned this that cliff is trying to set a record after they failed at the bathroom stuffing record cliff is walking backwards when he sees him walking backwards down the stairs and into the bar and Norm says that Cliff is now trying to get into record books for walking backwards. And Cliff says, he says it backwards. Everybody afternoon good, I think is what he said. And explains yeah. that it's good afternoon, everybody backwards. And then Carla calls him an ass jack. <laughs> and Cliff just keeps walking backwards around the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we go back to Sam and Diane. Sam notices that Diane is eating lobster. And she offers him some, saying she got too much... And she's just going to end up feeding it to a cat. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I mean, it's oblivious to the cost. It's oblivious to her not paying any money back to Sam and spend splurging on lobster. But she is generous with it. She's going to give it to him or even to a cat, you know, and not keep it all mm-hmm. for herself. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think I would be frustrated, too, if I were Sam at this point. But at the same time, it's, you know... It's hard to fault her being generous. Right. I thought. So. And then Carla tells Sam she has new shoes too. <laughs> She's just egging the whole thing on. Oh yeah, yeah. She's yeah. loving loving the escalating tension. And Sam asks who? And then Carla says, the one dribbling lobster all over her cashmere. <laughs> so Sam says he could care less. Keeps saying he could care less. And Carla keeps digging at Sam about how Diane, she's throwing cash around while she owes him a bundle and teases him, basically taunts him about what Diane purchased with the money because he keeps saying he doesn't care. And then Diane comes up and says she's going to be late tomorrow because she's having a facial and a massage. <laughs> Bad timing on that. Yep. <laughs> Sam cracks. He asks Carla what Diane spent the money on and she says, a book. Just a single book. A book. It's already been made into a movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that really sums it up right there, right? Yeah, it does. It's yeah, been yeah. made into a movie. Why the hell would you read a Why book? Would you you know? just buy it, right? <laughs> right. And at this point, this is a <laughs> this is a bit much, but I still think it's funny. The little Girl Scout uh-huh. that comes in selling the cookies. Because it is, it's just one t- thing on top of the next. <laughs> you know, until you get to the little Girl Scout. It's like another little purchase that Diane is gonna make, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of made me wonder, like, what's going to happen next? Is there going to be, like, a stray puppy that she's going to have to pay for? <laughs> you know, is it going to be just the next thing? Yeah. Um, Diane jumps up to purchase three boxes, and then she gives extra money to the little girl. And Sam is, you can see him, his face darkening. But again, like, Diane is helping the Girl Scouts, and she's giving extra money and so forth. So she's generous with his money, even though it's, she, you know, is still in debt to him. So, yeah. So she opens a box and 
Carla is like, aren't you going to offer Sam? (laughs) She's just really laying it on. Yeah. So she offers the cookies to Sam, and she says she has a lot more of them at home. And then Sam has this, again, this kind of like almost patrician attitude, like, don't mind if I do. (laughs) And then just smashes one after the next onto the counter. And you can see Carla is just delighted at the side of the bar. Like she's her, you know, her plan has worked. She's mm-hmm. won basically. <laughs> and then he goes through the entire box and remarks, I probably shouldn't have had that last one. <laughs> <laughs> it is very over the top, like you were saying, but it's also, yeah, I mean, he's hitting it so hard that you can almost see the bar like bouncing a little bit, you know, oh, like yeah. the, the, the platform or whatever on top and everyone right. in the background's watching um and Diane's just horrified and, you know, crumbs are flying on her everywhere. And it's, yeah, it's over the top, but it, it, I, it's still funny to me. <laughs> oh, I think it's very funny. And I think the fact that his behavior is over the top, but his remarks are low key makes it even funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't mind if I do. I shouldn't have had that last one, but he's like beating them into the bar. Right, right. You know. <laughs> Diane comes in and he apologizes to her about the cookies. And... Diane says, clearly Sam does not lend money with the sang-froid that he claims. I think that's what she said. (laughs) So she intends to return the money and gives him the book to hold as collateral and tells him it's the first edition Hemingway. Mm -hmm. Um, So they go in the office, basically, and so she's wanting him to put it in the safe. And he reads the title. (laughs) I love this part. Yeah. Because he's he takes the book, he's looking at it. He's like, the sun also rises. Boy, that's real profound. <laughs> I when I I was watching this through the first time, I busted out when he said that line. Because oh I mean, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, it caught me off guard, but it was great. <laughs> I know that's what I love about it. It's like it catches you off guard. It's very much something that Sam would think, and it's kind of true. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you could see from Sam's perspective. It is. It's kind of like, why would you read something so obvious? Right, exactly. Because he, you know, probably doesn't know anything about the book. And so he's just, you know, looking at it face value. And okay, the sun (laughs) also rises. Think about that title. Yeah, yeah, if you read The Sun Also Rises and you think about what he said, it's... It really is a hilarious title. Like, The Sun Also Rises. Boy, that's real profound. (laughs) You know? I Because you could come up with other things that happen in life just on a regular basis and be like well that's you know that's real profound right exactly <laughs> so I, yeah i, I think that was perfect so diane shows him hemingway's signature and he says for 500 dollars, you think margot hemingway would come over to your house and act it out for you <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was great too yep yeah mm-hmm. um and then diane tells sam to put the book in the safe and not let anything happen to it so I thought too. I was thinking about the Hemingways at this point because that was, I guess, the era when Margot was probably the known actress rather than Marielle, who was maybe you know, known a little bit longer or a little bit. Which is that. funny. I didn't really know Margot Hemingway. I didn't know that name um, mm-hmm. at the time. I did. I knew Muriel. I, I, or was that her name? It's Marielle Hemingway. Yeah, Marielle. That's right. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I mean, and I think by the time I knew, I I I, I know of you know I, that family to some degree, I guess, like from just from reading mm-hmm. about them. But I think that the person I would have heard of just in regular 
life and literature and entertainment or whatever would have been Marielle. But Margot, I guess, was um, acting. Margot was acting before she was, but it's interesting. I don't know why that's interesting, but I think it's just like that little window of time when she would have been the one mentioned. So I thought that was interesting that Sam mentioned mm-hmm. Margot. Yeah. Margot Hemingway would come to your house and act it out for you. So he puts the, he's going to put the, uh, the book in the safe and Diane is telling him all these things not to do, you know, and he says she's treating him like an animal. Um, and he's pausing and kind of looking at the book and opening it and so forth. <laughs> yeah. Something's up. And then we have Cliff. He says it, I think he says it smells boring. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, it even smells boring. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Cliff is walking forward. Turns out he backed into his ma's curling iron. Um, and then Woody, Woody's so kind, says that everyone there still considers him a winner. <laughs> Carla says, that's pronounced wiener. <laughs> that's such a clever line. Isn't it that is just, good. I mean, yeah, you know, I don't know. Play on words. I just think it, it really is a play on words. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sam comes in and he's kind of in a panic and he shows this book with the expanded pages. It's the only way I can think to describe it. Just it's, it's obviously been dropped in water or something. You know what I, mean? I gotta just <laughs> I don't even I know preface I wanna preface this scene, this whole bit. Well, I'm go, just go for it. When I'm watching this I'm just like cringing. Uh-huh. I, I don't know if you've ever done that. Not not to a five hundred dollar book. I have done that before. I have dropped a book or a book. maybe not completely to that level where it was, you know, that looked like it was just laying in the tub floating for a while, but um, where mm-hmm. I have gotten pages wet and so it has warped and, and been them. But I'm just yeah. physically cringing the, the pretty much the rest of this episode for, for I, Sam and for what happened. I really yeah, am. I am too. Like it bothers me through the end of the episode, and the fact that it's never revealed, but like bothers me because then I, I don't know. It just the books, the condition of the book bothers me. I don't like anything to happen to books I at know. all. I know. Like even if I've read them you know very long books i've had a friend yeah. like one of my friends that's still you know one of my good friends but she borrowed a book from me in high school that was i think it was a pat conroy novel it's like 600 pages or something i think so you know it was a long book and she's like i was afraid to even read it so she's like trying to like just crack it ever so slightly and like look through the pages because <laughs> uh-huh. i just couldn't stand to have even like the backs if they're i always would say like break their little spines you know you see these books like hardback or paperback where the back is all bent up because someone's just cracked it open it it used to bother me more than it does now now i have a couple that i've had to you know get into that condition but yeah anything like that where the book is sort of disturbed has always bothered me so this one when he came in with that book and then when he's you know spoiler when he's tearing the pages out that also (laughs) that's just just the knife to the chest right there yeah Mm. yeah so the sorrow is mitigated to some degree by Woody's comment, like, no wonder it's so expensive. It's inflatable. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam tells this story about he got interested in the book. And so he took it home. I mean, he just didn't think that he could probably pick up a copy cheaply, you know, not read that one, but he's reading that one. And he's reading it in the tub. He must have been in there a long time. <laughs> to be that what I love about this, though, is that, you know, as he kind of talks the rest of the episode, you know, he, he was really into this book. Yes. I mean, he was actually reading it Got through involved. a decent portion, which is, mm-hmm. you know, we get the idea, not really something he usually does. Right. Um, right. So I kind of like how 
you know, you can kind of see that in the scene before this, right, where he's, you know, supposed to be putting it in the safe and he's smelling at it and he kind of starts looking at it and it's like, oh, maybe he's going to mess with it. And and then mm-hmm. he took it home and was reading and, you know, relaxing with it. And that's when it all happened. But I, I mean, it doesn't, of course, does not excuse what happened, <laughs> but it no, does. But um, he was... Yeah, I mean, he, he was into it. And so yeah. I, I, I don't know. I like that a- aspect of it, that it wasn't as... You know, it wasn't like he just did something completely stupid with it, right? That it right. got dropped in traffic or something like that. It was, you know, he was actually exactly. into it. Yeah, because he was so startled by, he's like, we get to the part, you know, you can just tell his anticipation's building. You can imagine him reading it. They're going to tell us this terrible thing that happened to Jake Barnes during the war. And he was so startled that he dropped the book in the water. So he's completely immersed in it. Yeah. Um, which is what I put. I think it's interesting that Sam got that involved in the book. Mm-hmm. So, and so, then Norm tells him to just rip out every other page. <laughs> so that's kind of a Norm solution. Like that'll work it out. It is. Just rip it's out every very page. much something to do. Yeah. And then he, Sam is concerned that Diane's going to be very angry at him. <laughs> he says, this is great too. I think she told me not to touch it. I touched it and now it's fat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's funny or why it's even something that Sam would say, Mm -hmm. but I just Mm -hmm. thought it was hysterical. Describe the book. It's almost like he's just like, I don't know what happened to it. I just, I just messed with it. I don't know what happened. Like he still doesn't understand how it got that way. (laughs) Right. Or that. Yeah. Yeah. So he stuffs this book. Diane comes in and he stuffs this like enormous, now enormous book into his jacket. And Diane has been out shopping yet again. She's purchased an antique book stand for the book. Mm-hmm. And Carl asks her. Carl asks her if it's expandable. <laughs> that was as all, almost as great as in the last episode when she asks Andy, Andy's fiance, says it's a she's wearing a nice choker. She's like, I'm not wearing a nice choker. And like, you will be. You will, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's really getting him in. She's really yeah. getting him in this this run of episodes. Yeah, she is. So Diane is talking about this first edition. The sun also rises, and then. On cue, a man that's at the window table comes forward and announces that he's Bruce Sayers, an avid collector of 20th century American literature. So he's just right there while this discussion is going on. He's very enthusiastic about the book mm-hmm. and wants to know the condition. Diane says that it's in great condition. And then, and she says it's signed by Papa himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course she has to say that. Papa himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... She says, it's, she has to make this nerd literary joke inscribed with, Dear F. Scott, boy that Zelda is one crazy chick. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little line, though. Again, just like the Noel Coward line from earlier, I like. Yes. I like those little, like you said, she kind of nerds out for a minute. Yeah, but it's like a down-to-earth literary reference. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that the writers probably are familiar with American literature, and like, and I guess like English literature, probably in the case of Noel Coward, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. yeah. And so, yes. And so, but then they're using it, <laughs> you know, in a joking way. I love that. Like, I like it when people like actually know something about something that is considered somewhat, I don't even know if you consider it scholarly, but you know what I mean? Like academic yeah. or something that's literary, but yeah. they're using it to like to its best effect in a joke. Absolutely. <laughs> that's my favorite thing, I think. Um, that Zelda is one crazy chick. Like you kind of have to know a little bit about that literary world to find that funny. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Diane is laughing at her own, you know, American literature joke. So 
So, but I did think that was one of Diane's better jokes. Mm-hmm. It was that, and yeah, that that and the Noel Coward the liquor license, and the collector Bruce Sayers does not get that the F Scott joke, just like Sam did not get the reference to Noel Coward with the liquor license. <laughs> I noticed. So. That's and funny. I, yeah. <laughs> It really, it really is. I don't know why I find all that so amusing, but it is. So the collector, Bruce Sayers, asks if the book is for sale. And she says, Cyan says she couldn't place a monetary value on something so personal. So he offers her $1,000. And she said, make the check out to Diane Chambers and tell Sam to get the book. Um, so then Sam is trying to convince Diane that he just loves the book or she loves the book. That's what it is. Diane or sorry, Sam is trying to convince Diane that she loves the book and can't sell it. So she says, Sam, we love people. We own books. Which I thought was a interesting statement. I take a little bit of issue with a statement though. (laughs) Go for it. No, not, not, not too seriously, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's true, but it, you know, for her, I'm like, well, now, we we don't just own books. You can love books too. You know? <laughs> Something about that right. line. I was like, mm, hold on a minute. But yeah, I, mean, yeah. I get the I get yeah. the spirit of it. <laughs> right. So it's a yeah, it's it's an interesting statement. And then she adds, even as a child, she found Hemingway pretentious and overmannered. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This kind of goes back to the beginning because it um, doesn't really. Then she acknowledges this kind of at the you know very beginning. Um, she doesn't seem like someone who would necessarily be a, a huge Hemingway fan, um, right. based and not not because she's female, but more because we've seen so many of the books that she's read. Um, most of them are, you know, like this, like next level nonfiction, like Carl Jung and Freud, and mm-hmm. you know, poetry, but things that you know are are not at all what most casual readers might, you know, be drawn toward. Right. Yeah. And when she speaks, she speaks, you know, when she's trying to speak in a, in a kind of affected way or, you know, speak Mm -hmm. of literature, it's in sort of like long sentences with a lot of flourish, which is not how Hemingway wrote. So it doesn't seem like that would be. Exactly. It doesn't seem like I mean, I would be one of those people that would be like, I know what you're saying. Diane Chambers' sensibilities attuned to Hemingway. It's like, that is, I agree with Woody. Like, that is kind of close to what I would think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's almost like she's like, oh, you know, I I got this just by virtue of it being a signed first edition, which, you know, is fine. I mean, that's, there's people that collect that. That's fine. But yeah, it doesn't seem like something that she's like, oh, you know, she grew up loving him, you know. Right, right. And when, that's when she says, like, it's signed by Papa himself. It's like, are you really that into that world of Hemingway that you're... <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So at this point, Sam is in trouble. He's panicking. He's making these excuses about how he can't remember the code of the safe. And then there's that, you know, kind of, um, like, verbal farce of, like, it's your birthday. And since it's my birthday, I should be out celebrating. You know, he's just <laughs> running through any kind of distraction to not go in there and get the the big swollen book out of the safe or wherever it is i think it's in his jacket still at this point um because he was hiding it so he goes in the office he starts ripping pages from the book per norm's suggestion (laughs) i start cringing even more yep absolutely (laughs) yeah and then diane comes in with bruce sayers which i think is (laughs) that's a good name for a a a dealer i guess like Mm -hmm. they're in american literature dealer maybe i don't know and so they start bidding and sam for the most 
you know, most of this and is bidding up in increments of $10, which I think is funny too, because he's like 1,010 and then Bruce Sayer says 1,100 and so it's like 1,110. Yeah. Um, And Sam talks about falling in love with the book at some point. And so Diane, just like in the last episode, she kind of has this revelation about, I mean, well, the last episode, obviously that was a dream, but she's just impressed with Sam's love of the book and she's looking at him in a new light and how sensitive he is and all of that so that just reminded me of the beginning of the office scene the dream office scene in the last episode Mm -hmm. so she says the book's not for sale and she wants sam to have it so bruce sayers you know she's happy that people love books and he leaves and sam is kind of starting to pick up on on this with diane he's like i am sensitive so i'll get out Yes. And she thinks this he's whole changed. Scene, yeah, this whole yeah. scene, she is just, you know, she's like, she she's, she says she's attracted to him and, and she feels something stirring. <laughs> I know. She's just like over the top here. Yep. Yep. I, I was making notes on it and I was like, she thinks he's changed. She's attracted to him. She continues to describe her condition. It's like, I can't yeah. keep writing all this stuff she's saying. Right, right, right. But she does go over, like, her every heartbeat, basically. And then she's kind of, like, getting into his arms and kissing him. And so Sam says he's thinking about getting a lot more books and maybe even a library card. And, you know, what was it she talks about? Like, how they didn't imagine at the beginning of the day they'd be in each other's arms and mm-hmm. so on. And yeah. she says that, you know, he has the book that he really loves and she's made herself a tidy little prophet and they're in each other's arms. And this also, this makes me cringe in a different way. <laughs> and Sam notices this prophet remark, you know, it's kind of like, what? So she said the last bid was $1,200 and she's going to subtract the 500 she owes him and then he's going to owe her only $700. So, yeah. And she doesn't seem to even you know, think that there's any kind of <laughs> argument to be had about this situation. Right. So the episode closes, Diane is saying to Sam, he's, you're holding me a little too tightly and she can't breathe and all of this because he's clearly realizing that she intends to have him pay even more money for this book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for which he's loaned her the money in the first place. Now have some thoughts on this. But um, yeah, what, what's your impression of this, this entire scenario? Uh, yeah, it's like, oh my God, there she goes again, opening her mouth, right, and yeah. <laughs> starts yapping and makes the situation <laughs> exactly. takes it from you know to to a worse place. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that that you know they've made the choice, um, the writers or whatever, to not have her discover the condition of the book. Is you know, it? because it's like you know, it's it's so terrible, right? I mean, it really is so terrible, um, mm-hmm. and and so. You know, she's had to see all sorts of other things that she's really been attached to that have been like, I think of that uh, Brian the Lion that becomes a bar oh, mop right, or a right, bar right. rag or whatever. <laughs> and uh, that sweater that she, uh, that was sweater that shrunk and all yes. these things. And so I'm thinking, oh, here yet again, something that he's been somewhat responsible like, right. for ruining. And yeah. uh, we kind of skip over that. So part of me would have mm. wanted, I mean, it was all cringeworthy, but part of me would have wanted to see him found there's, out first for the book, I guess. Um, well, because there's no resolution. There isn't. You're right. There isn't that. really any yeah. resolution. And I'll say too, the whole thing with 
I mean, you know, this episode we had right before this was Diane's nightmare, right? And and they mm-hmm. end up at the end of that episode when she's still dreaming, they end up basically in the same position, embracing right. and kissing. And it's in that moment, I mean, it, it turns out to be a dream, but it's like, wait a minute, kind of went from zero to 60. And then here, this episode, which is quote unquote real life, right? The characters are not mm-hmm. dreaming. It feels like it's zero to 60. I mean, she's obviously attracted to him because of the sensitivity and his attraction to the book and blah, blah, blah. But still, right. to go from where they were to that, it's like, wait a minute. What's well, this is very kind of unexpected, at least it was to me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. She does go from like from zero to 60 um, without regard for, I mean, obviously, like he's game for it, but she's basing it on this again like this idea she has of him this artistic proclivity that she sees in him you mm-hmm. know um yeah it's just it, it's it, it seems like a house cards it just seems like something that's not real even in this episode it's obviously not real because he's trying to get out of <laughs> having to tell her that mm-hmm. he dropped the book in the bathtub but even if he hadn't and he loved the book it's still just this one thing that he's done that she's throwing her whole self into you know Right. So. Absolutely. So, yeah, it does. I don't know. Yeah. Toward the very end of this, it does seem a little a little far fetched, I guess, that this would be the situation they're in. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, there isn't really any resolution. You're kind of left wondering, well, wait a minute. She's not even going to want to see the book again or whatever. I mean, she sold it, I guess. But yeah. 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 Yeah, Like a look at the signature or maybe like she wants to sell him the stand to put it on too you know right right yeah Yeah. i thought too like and this is more perhaps more legalistic but he ruined the book while it was his collateral for the loan that she had not repaid so if she is going to at the end be that sort of legalistic and profit oriented like well the last bid was twelve hundred dollars she's not going back to like well you can have it and we'll just forget the 500 or whatever, or even the mm. first bit, like she's going to for the full, like last bid. Um, and it kind of seems to me, I don't know. I, I don't know. Cause he could claim that it's his book until she's repaid him. <laughs> that's kind of what collateral is. You know? right. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what, how that would work. And I don't know how I really feel about it, but mm. it just, that part it just, the last, I, I love the episode, but that entire last part after Sam tells the story, because I like the story, like we discussed, of Sam being so engrossed in this book that he drops in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. But from the that part until the end, like I feel like there's no. It just makes me nervous. All of it <laughs> makes me nervous. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know? interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess I enjoy it less at that point. Like I think the beginning, like all of this stuff leading up to that, is fantastic, and all the literary jokes. But that last part, I don't think it's bad. I just don't, and I don't know how. Like you said, it's an interesting choice that the writers didn't mm-hmm. have Diane, didn't have Sam admit that he what he had done to the book or shown it. Because I think that would have been sort of the typical way out of that story. Yeah. And I don't know how I would have done it differently, but I just don't feel yeah, I fulfilled just, by the ending. Right. It just didn't see the, seal the deal for you. I get that. I get that. I'm, I'm kind of inclined to say the same sort of thing now that I think about that last little act. Um, I really liked this episode. Um, mm-hmm. I, I responded to it kind of like a, as, a, as a bibliophile or whatever you would, right. would use. But um, So I liked the literary uh, references. I liked, you know, how excited she was over this book and 
you know, mm-hmm. that it was really the, the main plot. So I enjoyed it for all those reasons. Um, I did feel like it meandered a little bit, could have been a little tighter uh, midway through the episode. Um, but, and then this very end again, like we talked about the lack of resolution, um, kind of feel like she should have discovered the book and that, that had that be part of the story. But, um, overall I enjoyed it for, for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a really good episode. Do you think it meandered when they were going, when it's like more the part of Carla Yes. Trying to yeah. goad mm-hmm. Sam into being yeah. angry at Diane about the paying part. the money back. Yeah, because okay. it almost becomes about two different things, right? I mean, it's I mean, it's all related, but you know, she's you know, she borrowed money. He says, "I don't care about what you do with the money." Well, then he kind of, you know, is revealed that he kind of does. And it, yeah. maybe it just feels like they go on a little longer than they needed to with the whole, you know, irritating mm-hmm. Sam with with the fact that she's kind of frivolous with her money. She hasn't made any effort to pay him back. So it kind right. of just felt like I it kind of that. went in a weird direction, and then it circled back when the book was was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because it does. It's like you had to get to that point of her giving it to him for collateral, and it did take a little bit longer to get there, even though I... Yeah. I like Carla's role on that. In that, you know, I can mm-hmm. see her doing that. I think some of the comments are funny, but it does take a bit long. Like it could have just maybe, yeah, it could have been a little a little tighter, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. um, and maybe a little bit more of I don't know shenanigans on Sam's part trying to hide the fact that the book was destroyed. I think that would have, you know, maybe just made it a little stronger yeah. for me. But yeah, overall, very very yeah. good episode, and it was enjoyable in its own right. And I would not want to lose Sam reading the title, The Sun Also Rises, and saying, boy, that's real profound. <gasps> right. Because that was that great. entire part. That was, was great. great. Yeah. 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 And I do think it's a promising start for Sri Eichen and Wilstein Kellner. Going forward, it'll be interesting to kind of compare some of their future writing to this, I think, mm. future stories. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening.